This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live across Canada, this is Crosstalk with Shay Ganim, Mike Smith, and Kelly Cotrera. Hi there, everybody. Shay Ganim here in Alberta, and this is Crosstalk on the Chorus Radio Network. We get together at the end of every month. It's a unique opportunity, and it's a chance for us to connect with you Canadians through some of the issues that have united us and some of those that have divided us over the past several days. And the response that we get to this has always been very, very positive. Joining me today, as you heard for Crosstalk, we have Mike Smith in British Columbia. We also have Kelly Cotrera in Ontario. And today, we find ourselves reflecting on the legacy of Canada's 18th Prime Minister, Brian Mulroney, passing away yesterday at the age of 84. He called me and he would always encourage me and, and say, look, tomorrow's a different day. And that's just the way he looked at things. You want to talk about trailblazers, visionaries, that was Brian Mulroney. You think of the, the fair trade deal that he put together, the list goes on and on and on. He shaped our past, but he shapes our present and he will impact our future as well. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau there, along with Doug Ford, uh, speaking about their memories of uh, Brian Mulroney. And as I say, we have Mike Smith, Kelly Cotrera. Guys, thanks so much for joining me. I'm uh, looking forward to this. Um, just give us your reaction. Mike, let's start with you. I, I, I and We knew he, he knew he was up in age, but this came as a bit of a surprise, didn't it? Yeah, sure. I was surprised to hear that news, especially because we'd been hearing from him uh, in recent times. Um, he'd done a sit down with Pierre Polyev and had talked about Justin Trudeau and his management of the pandemic and things like that so he had been he had been out there he'd been talking he'd been uh publicly accessible so yeah it did come up as a bit of a shock yesterday uh my memories of him shay what i i think back to the 1988 election which i covered i was a, a young reporter for the canadian press at that time covered that campaign and man that was a barn burner and it was fought over the free trade deal right with the united states and boy the country was just absolutely divided over that because the opposition john turner for the liberals were saying this is going to make us basically a colony of the united states if this deal goes through it was super controversial and mulrooney won he won big he won back-to-back uh, -back big majority governments Things went a little different for him later in his career and became very unpopular. But boy, I sure remember that election. Yeah, Mike, and that's such a great point when you talk about Brian Mulroney. I don't know if we have that kind of political courage very much anymore to take on free trade, which he knew was going to cost him. Uh, GST was another one wow. that I think he knew was going to cause him all kinds of issues. Actually, this is an amazing clip. This is him talking about how he managed to stick handle that and get it done. I got the caucus together and told them that in my judgment, that if we proceeded with this, it would cut up 20 points off our popularity and put us in third place and keep us in third place for two and a half years. But I said to the caucus, it's going to make us extremely unpopular, but it must be done. It has to be done in the national interest for future generations of Canadians. We've got to make this fundamental change. To a man and a woman, every one of them said, irrespective of the political cost, we're going to do it. Kelly, that is leadership defined. We're going to do this. It's hard, but we're going to do it. And it's political courage, right? 
Yeah. And, you know, we hear over and over again when we listen to people talk about the legacy that Brian Mulroney leaves behind uh, is that he had the courage to do things, but also he had the courage to reach out to people that were on the other side to uh, inspire them as well to do what is right for the country or what they perceive to be right for the country. And I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is uh, because I was quite young when Brian Mulroney was in power, truth be told, and I could care less. I was looking for the latest and greatest pair of jeans that would make me popular with my peers, right? So uh, I am just so impressed by how much he reached out to other politicians and tried to work with them because I think that's sort of a plot that's missing right now. We're really ripping a page out of what's going on down south and I don't like it because at the end of the day, these politicians that we elect, they are being paid with taxpayers' dollars and they are supposed to be doing the job of what's best for the country and all of us and I feel like they spend a lot of time arguing instead of trying to build bridges in finding the best path forward. And so I'm kind of inspired that we had a prime minister like that and that he continued even after uh, he left politics to reach out to politicians like the uh, leader of the NDP here, Marit Stiles, said that she was having a particularly tough time last year. And Brian Mulroney picked up the phone and called her and said, hi, it's uh, Brian Mulroney. I just want to let you know, you know, like when you're low, just don't give up. And he, and he was, mm. she got all choked up and we hear the, the, those stories time and time again. But I'm really impressed as a kid that, you know, was really terrified of what was going to go on environmentally in Canada, um, to our lakes and our streams and our rivers, you know, who spent a lot of time in the summer in cottage country. I am just absolutely blown away by the work he did with George Bush, um, to, you know, sign that treaty to mitigate the dangers of uh, acid rain. And now that's not a problem. And and he also was responsible for establishing a bunch, a bunch of uh, national parks that I had no idea he had anything to do with. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm learning a lot about uh, sort of that bridge building that he, I, I didn't know, and maybe I missed it, um, as Justin Trudeau was trying to negotiate the revamp NAFTA with Donald Trump, if you can imagine, he was leaning heavily on Brian Mulroney, who was mm. working with him and advising him and counseling him. He's gone through it. He's got, a, I mean, that's remarkable that we have a conservative prime minister sitting down with a liberal prime minister for what's good for Canada and saying, okay, let's work on this together. It's amazing. The mayor of Edmonton, Amarjeet Sohi, was a liberal cabinet minister in Justin Trudeau's government originally. Now he's mayor of Edmonton. He put on Twitter yesterday that back in the 1980s, Brian Mulroney was influential in securing his freedom. He'd been, he calls it wrongfully imprisoned in an Indian jail in India. And he says Brian Mulroney was instrumental in securing his freedom. Like the number of people that this guy has affected personally, it's mind blowing, Mike. Well, you know what? Another one to add to that list could be he was he was very principled and, and stood up against apartheid in South Africa at the yes. time. And so that's another part of his legacy. That was an amazing clip he played on the GST there. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall there during those okay. meetings there. He's trying to tell his colleagues, hey, don't worry, this GST is the right thing to do. Yeah. I think his plan, though, was he knew he would take a political hit, but then he figured, don't worry, it's going to come back because people are going to see that this GST is, is actually going to work. Let me tell you, people were furious over the GST, and it's one of the reasons that he got absolutely wiped off the map in that last election. And before he, after he resigned, we had Kim Campbell here from here from British Columbia who stepped in and got wiped out. The other ones that caused division in the country were the Meech Lake Cords 
And the mm-hmm. Charlottetown, Charlottetown. Uh, Constitutional Accords, both of them, of course, collapsed and didn't, and didn't work. Especially in Western Canada, man, there is a ton of anger over that. That led to the rise of the Federal Reform Party. We saw the rise of the Bloc Québécois in Quebec. So the country, toward the end of his tenure, became quite, quite divided. And it took a long time for the Conservatives on the federal stage to get their act together again. A long time. Long time. You're right. And I mean, yeah. his, his approval ratings by the time he handed it over to Kim Campbell were less than 10%. Oh, like, yeah, he microscopic. Was done. Yeah. 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 It was over. Yeah. Well, maybe he's trying right to undo some seats. damage, guys. I was just thinking maybe he's trying to undo some damage that he did, you know, by, you know, being responsible for creating the block, the Quebecois and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. You know, because he's reached out throughout, throughout after he retired, reached out and tried to, you know, build bridges. Maybe he was atoning for something. Well, <laughs> remember, remember what he said to Polyev um, not too long ago. He was giving Pierre Polyev some advice and he was advising Polyev kind of along those lines that you've got to be in the middle. Don't go too far. Yeah. Extreme right. And he, he said quite memorably You've got to fish where the fish are, okay? You've got to be where the people are, where the majority of people are thinking and how they're feeling about this country. So you don't want to go too extreme on one side. That was the advice that Mulroney gave Polyev here. I think that was good advice. I think so too. And I, you know, we heard some comments from Jean Chrétien yesterday and, you know, they were political rivals, but like, I love, you know, I love listening to Chrétien talk and he said it was, it's like a hockey game, right? We go out there and we beat the hell out of each other. When it's over, we all get together and we have a beer. We would tease each other. You will poke fun at me, I will poke fun at him. And, uh, you know, we will, uh, you know, as I say, it is, we have to take, not to take ourselves too seriously. We have to take the job very seriously. But life is life and we all do our best. Yeah, that kind of attitude is in mm. short supply in politics these days. They take it far too seriously, don't they? Well, do you think Paulie ever go sit down and have a beer with uh, Not Justin exactly. Trudeau? <laughs> oh, I would Not love sure. to be a fly on the wall. Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. You know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do pairs and have them play euchre together. Oh, yeah. That'd be good. That'd just be spend good. 10 minutes in a room together would be fun to watch, no matter what they're doing. It's just, it's a different time. It's a different place. And I miss it, to be honest with you. I think that kind of approach to politics is more beneficial for us as voters than what we've got now. I'd like to see a return to that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, when when you take a look back, I remember uh, the country being very, very divided and angry toward the toward the end of his tenure. And I I think it's something to remember uh, about that time. And it it took a long, long time for those scars to heal, as as we uh, discussed. So now the Conservative Party, they've knitted they've knitted their coalition back together on the on the federal scene. And uh, Polyev, the Conservatives look poised to return to power here next time. So we'll see how Polyev takes that advice uh, to mind here as we go forward here. That's going to be interesting to watch. Does he try and adopt some of Brian Maroney's legendary statesman-like uh, mm. approach to politics? Uh, Got to take a quick break. A lot more things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the price of food and how it sort of blew up on, I think, a couple of big American companies that operate here in Canada, too. That's coming up later. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Robert Picton. He caused all kinds of problems across the country. It's Shea Ganim in Alberta with Mike Smith in B.C. and Kelly Cotrera in Ontario. It's Crosstalk, and we're back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, 
to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Talk with Shay Ganim, Mike Smith, and Kelly Cotrera. And we are back again. Shay Ganim here in Alberta, Mike Smith in BC, and Kelly Couture in Ontario for crosstalk as we talk about some of the issues that resonated across the country. And one that I know we were all talking about, guys, was Robert Picton. Became eligible for parole, which, I mean, that's how our system works. And, uh, Mike, this is your part of the world. This story, of course, started and uh, is focused on British Columbia. I imagine your audience had a lot to say. What were they telling you this week? Oh, yeah, we, we sure did. We covered this story this week, Shay, and Robert, and we had a big reaction from the listeners. Robert Pickton, we're talking about the worst of the worst, the worst serial killer in Canadian history. He was charged with 26 murders of women who disappeared from Vancouver's downtown east side, which is the poorest neighborhood in Canada. He was eventually convicted on on six counts of, of murder, and he has now become eligible, eligible, stress eligible for parole. And for the families of his victims, this is just being re-victimized all over again. That Now, he has not applied for parole to this point, but he has the opportunity to apply for parole. The question is, this is, a, this is a, the worst serial killer in our history. He's not going to be let out. He's not going to be given parole. I mean, this is unthinkable. So why would you even allow him to apply and re-victimize these families over and over again who've been victimized so many times during this case? Let me play a clip here for you for your thoughts on it. So this is Michelle Pinot. She is the mom of, of one of Picton's victims, Stephanie Lane. Have a listen. I think of my daughter every single day. I don't want to think about Picton every day. My heart is aching. My daughter does not get day parole. She's been gone for 27 years now. She doesn't get privileges that he gets, and he should stay where he is until the day he dies. Yeah, I, I don't heard think that. a lot of people, I think, you know, Jay, think that he should not have the ability to even apply for parole. Yeah, that's what I was hearing from a lot of people in my audience, too. But I guess the question comes back to we have a system or we don't, right? Like once we start saying, OK, you know, I mean, this is how it works. You go to jail for life, but there is the eligibility of parole. When do we remove that? Who decides? Well, and, you know, like Picton's not getting parole. We know that. So do we need to go through the process? Well, where do you draw that line, Mike? I guess that's the question, right? Either we have the system well, or we don't. I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion and debate about that in Canada because the opposition conservatives here, as we get closer to another federal election, have said that they believe that a guy like Picton should never be given the chance to even apply for parole. So they are talking about some sort of a, a new category of, a, of offender, the worst of the worst, the most evil mass killers, Picton, a Paul Bernardo. You know, these guys should not even be allowed to apply and, and re-victimize these families all over again. And one thing I would point out for the listeners is these families of these victims have been victimized over and over and over again by the system. Because when these women first started disappearing from the streets of the downtown east side of Vancouver, we are talking about largely indigenous women living in the poorest neighborhood in Canada. A lot of them were sex, sex trade workers, uh, have a drug addictions, trauma. They started to disappear. And people said to the police, hey, we, there's a serial killer on the loose here. And the police were saying, oh, no, no, 
you know, these are transient women, transient women. They've probably gone up north, northern British Columbia somewhere. They were extremely slow to respond. And dozens of these these women just disappeared over and over again over a series of years before they finally caught the guy. They were slow to respond. So that's how they were victimized the first time. And now we're talking about a system that potentially could re-victimize them over and again. So that's why I think the guy the guy should be locked up forever. This guy is evil, and he should not even be given the chance to apply for parole, in my opinion. Kelly, were you talking about it? He must have been, right? I mean, this is a national story, and I know it was making news in the House of Commons. What were you hearing? You know what? We I, we didn't touch on uh, Robert Picton much here uh, this week. I've got to be honest, but I remember I was living in Vancouver while this was going on, and I remember uh, stories of women going missing. And then, of course, uh, for people that don't know on this side of uh, of the country, Robert Picton uh, and his brother operated a pig farm, and that is how they disposed of the women that they um, murdered. And uh, he's serving time for murdering, but they feel that he may have killed more people than. And he was charged for between 1978 and 2001 at least 65 women were reported missing from the downtown east side but one of the things that mike just touched on i think um rang a bell here for a local a story closer to home here in toronto for our gta listeners is bruce MacArthur. he was a mm-hmm. serial killer that was killing gay men in the gay village here in toronto and uh for quite a while there were people reaching out to the police saying, yeah, we've got a serial killer in the gay village. Can you please do something about it? And the same thing happened. So I think the big storyline here in the connect the dots moment is how little we care about people that are marginalized. We don't seem to give them the same respect. Um, uh, we dehumanize them and it is incredibly unfortunate. And I'm happy that you played a clip from a mother because at the end of the day, these are someone's kids. And they deserve to be respected. Um, whether you like their life choices or not, they're humans. And if they are being mistreated or, um, something nefarious is going on, I think it's, it is important that our law enforcement agencies look into it. Oh, no question. And I think there's been failings in so many of these high profile cases. There's, there's absolutely no question. It's an interesting comparison that you make there, Mike, in terms of they were failed originally. And that's how we got to the point that we got to. And perhaps they could have been ended long before it ended up with, as you say, he had 26 charges. He was actually only convicted on six. And then, and uh, you know, there was a lot of people very upset because of the other 20 that were charged. The government actually said, well, we've got him on the six. He's going to jail for life. Let's not put the families through it. Let's not go through the expense. We'll stay the other 20. So if you, one of those charges, if one of those was your family member, you didn't even get a day in court. It was just, eh, we'll park that. We've already got him anyway. Families were upset about that too, Mike. Yeah, yeah. And now they've got to live with the thought that the guy could apply for parole and go through some sort of parole hearing and, and the families would potentially have to face the guy. Come on now. We do want to put these families through this trauma all over again. And we've seen many examples. I interviewed a woman on my show this week, guys, named Lisa Freeman. You might be familiar with her. She is a very brave and outspoken advocate for victims. Her dad was murdered in a terrible axe murder. And she has talked about the trauma that she's gone through as she has to go through parole hearings for this guy over and over again. I think that we can we can spare these families any more grief by just keeping this guy locked up and saying, you know what, in this category, you don't get to apply. And, and it's not hard to put this category and define when you're talking about Picton. I mean, yeah, okay, this is where we start and end it. I mean, it, it's pretty obvious. It, it speaks to a larger issue. And one, as you guys know, we've talked about a million times in this country, and that's justice, how we handle not only the criminal code, but 
sentencing people, letting people out, bail reform, all these sorts of conversations. A really interesting story in Ontario this week. We need to take a break for the news, but when we come back, we'll get into this. Doug Ford has had it. He's, he, it's pretty amazing. I'll play a clip for you, but he says, this is it. We, we got to do a better job. And it starts with judges. So he wants to completely change the way judges are appointed in Ontario. So we'll continue this conversation around law and order and justice in Canada when we come back. Live across Canada, this is Crosstalk with Shay Ganim, Mike Smith, and Kelly Catrera. And welcome back to Crosstalk here on the Chorus Radio Network. Once a month, we get together and connect across the country. Uh, as you heard, Mike Smith in British Columbia. Um, Kelly Cotrera is in Ontario and uh, Shea Ganim here in Alberta. We're talking about some of the issues that, uh, you know, made news on our shows this week and this month and sort of had you talking. And it's a chance to sort of contrast and compare how they resonated in different parts of the country. We were just talking about Picton and his eligibility for parole, which had a lot of people really, really upset for very good reasons. He's never getting out of jail. Why do we need to go through the exercise? Um, but it fits into a larger conversation, guys. And I think we've had this conversation for a very, very long time. A lot of people have a lot of problems with the justice system in this country. And you can pick on any area that you want. Bail reform has been in the news a lot lately. And the Liberal government is promising some work to be done there, but you've got, you know, the revolving door, you've got judges letting people out far too early and all these sorts of things. And uh, I, I think, you know, we've, we've talked about this for a long time. People are getting pretty frustrated by it, Kelly. Yeah, they're getting frustrated. Um, have you got that that clip of Doug Ford? Because he made waves I do. In, on Tuesday in uh, <laughs> Queens Park. He decided to not just double down, but the guy said he's going to triple down on getting tough on crime. Yeah, it is a great clip. This is uh, Doug Ford. I'm not going to double down. I'm tripling down now. We're going to triple down on making sure our communities are safe. We're going to triple down on getting judges that believe in throwing someone in jail when they kick the doors in, put a gun to people's heads, terrorizing their kids, terrorizing the parents to the point that the, parents, the, the kids don't want to stay at home anymore. They're, they're terrorizing communities, and guess what, Mr. Speaker? They're letting them out, not going out on bail once, not twice, not three times, not four times, up to eight times. Put little Johnny back on the street, give him a gun until he can kick the next door in and put the gun to the next person's head and hand over the keys. I'm sick and tired of judges letting these people out on bail. We're going to hire tough judges, tough JPs. That's what we're doing. That's a clip. That's a clip, Kelly. I got to wow. ask. What's he talking about? Did that happen? Did somebody kick in a door and hold a gun to somebody's head repeatedly? People are doing that now. It's getting scary. Last time we spoke a month ago, we were talking about how uh, auto thefts were up in Ontario. Yep. And uh, it's, you know, people were, they started out by stealing them with technology, right? They take them from your driveway or they put a tracker on them and take them from the mall while you're at the mall. Well, uh, if they're now, they've just up the ante. Uh, because a lot of people are getting out on bail. What they're doing is organized crime are hiring young kids to do this. Um, and either they're pointing a gun at somebody's head in the parking lot and jumping in their car saying, get out, give me the keys, jumping in the car. Or in a lot of cases now, we're hearing that the latest move is they will kick in your door, uh, basically come in with a baseball bat or uh, a gun. And while your kids are at home in the middle of the night, they will say, give me your car keys. And then they will leave. And it is just, it, it's terrifying. One of the things that we did was open up the phone lines because I wanted to know what people are doing to take matters in their own hands. Um, you know, how 
how fearful people are right now of the threat of somebody breaking into their house in order to steal their car. And I asked what you have by your bed. And I was really expecting the baseball bat to to be the number one answer. People had a multi-tool. People had swords. People had machetes. And this one guy had this crazy martial arts uh sword that was like a hooked sword. And just... Then, of course, there are a few gun owners that said, I'm a legal gun owner. I've got this. Just let them try. But um, I think what it did is it punctuated how frightened people are. And you know who was not happy about that? The Criminal Lawyers Association. They say that, look, what Ford is saying is it amounts to fear mongering. It's not that bad. And he said that Ford appointments could set a dangerous precedent when future governments make uh, commit committee appointments based on partisanship rather than merit. I don't know that that's actually going to happen. I think what uh, Ford was doing was playing politics and trying to um, meet people where they were, you know, and people are frightened. And, you know, now we have insurance companies saying, look, you have to put in this specific uh, tracker in your car because it's uh, popular Mm -hmm. among thieves. And if you don't, then you've got to pay more for auto insurance. So this is on people's minds. It is. But as you say, it's not there's no question he's he's playing to people that are scared and concerned and want some change here. But but then there's the issue of can he. Right. And and I know that's been raised and there's been people saying, well, you know, there's going to be a constitutional challenge because ostensibly we're supposed to have a system that is free from politics. We're not supposed to have a, a, a politician saying, I want judges that are hard on crime. That's not the way the system is supposed to work. So, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people in Ontario are saying, this is great. Yeah, go Doug Ford. We, 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 we appreciate this kind of approach. The question though is, will he be able to do it or will the courts intervene? Yeah, I mean, listen, political rhetoric is an, is an easy thing to do. And is, some of these things are easier said than done. And like you said, Shay, we've got uh, a tradition and a system of an independent judiciary in Canada. I don't know, would would people like to see elected judges here in Canada like would they have in the United States? I'm not certain that we want to go down that road. Certainly a lot of people would feel that way, and that would be a good thing. But we we don't have it here, and I don't think it's, it's going to go in that direction. One of the things that jumped out at me there listening to that Doug Ford clip there is okay you've got the police and authorities and other and a lot of other people on the other side saying the crime is exaggerated it's not as bad as what ford is making it out to be but what he is talking about are repeat offenders who keep getting let out over and yep. over and over again, right? This is the revolving door justice system. And we are very, very familiar with this here in British Columbia. And we've got stories here of people, forget about what Ford was saying there. Oh, people have been let out six, seven or eight times. How about being let out like a hundred times? Like yeah. you've got yeah. like crazy, crazy cases here. Prolific property offenders, sometimes violent offenders too, who just commit crime after crime after crime and are let out dozens and dozens and dozens of times over and over again. I spoke to a guy on my show this week who owns a a series of small businesses here in BC. His places have been broken into 24 times. 24 break-ins and oftentimes it's the same people who are committing the break-ins over and over again and they just keep getting let out again now we've got a premier here in british columbia who has also complained about the criminal justice system especially when it comes to repeat violent offenders he certainly does not employ the colorful language we just heard there from doug ford (laughs) but he's he's talked about well the federal government needs to get tougher especially with these violent offenders and we have seen some changes in the bail system and promises 
promises of changes in, in bail, bail reform, which I guess is fine. But one of the things that we talk a lot about here in BC are the repeat uh, property offenders too, because there are people yeah. who will commit uh, property crime over and over again, and nothing seems to happen. You know, Mike, there's a, a perfect example of that that played out in Edmonton this week. Um, a woman, she was actually from Fort Saskatchewan, a bedroom community. She ran the food bank out there. She was an institution in that community. She she was driving in Edmonton and ran over a police spike belt, got out of the vehicle to inspect the damage and was run over and killed. And the guy took off. Um, the, the guy who the spike belt had been deployed for, he was arrested. He's now facing Ugh. a bunch of charges, including dangerous driving, causing death and bodily harm, assault, flight from police. They say he had a U-Haul truck. He was driving around picking up Amazon packages. But this guy, to your point, um, has been identified by RCMP as a transient, prolific offender who was wanted on warrants out of Spruce Grove and Edmonton and Saskatchewan for various thefts and vehicle offenses. So this is one of the guys you're talking about, a repeat property crime offender. It led to this tragic death in the city of Edmonton, a huge rally last night in Fort Saskatchewan. Hundreds of people attended. Um, but this is what we're talking about. This guy has been in contact with police multiple times, still out on the street, still stealing Amazon packages, and it ends in the death of a completely innocent woman. Yeah, perfect example. Perfect example of what we're talking about. Um, we've had we've had equally tragic uh, examples here of people who have been let out uh, only to commit more violent crimes. Uh, we yeah. had a we had a guy who was re uh, released from um, after killed his own daughter, found not mentally not criminally responsible, be basically because of insanity, w was put into an institution, let out, stabbed somebody else. They put him back in, let him out again, stab somebody else. All this guy would do, every time they let him out, just keep stabbing people. And then he ended up uh, stabbing people in, in a, at a cultural celebration in, in Vancouver's Chinatown a few months ago, and he's been locked up again. So again, you know, we've got examples of, of people who have been let out over and over and over again. So we're not, talk, we're not talking about the overall volume of crime. Like, I understand no. it when people say, like, oh, the crime statistics are actually trending down in a lot of cities. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're talking about a criminal justice system that when you've got chronic, repeat, prolific offenders keep getting let out over and over again. I think that's the thing that frustrates people the most. Yeah, I think it's a problem, and we've all we've we've seen it in every jurisdiction in this country, and, uh, and we'll wait and see what happens with the bail reform. Okay, we're going to take one last break. When we come back, we're going to get into a conversation that really, really ticked off a lot of people. You had some really, really rich people talking about what you do to try and save money. It did not go well. When you're talking about the price of food right now, Canadians don't have a lot of patience. It's cost too much, and it backfired on a couple of people this week. We'll have that right after this. Show hosts in Canada. This is Crosstalk with Shay Ganim, Mike Smith, and Kelly Catrera. Yeah, we're back with Crosstalk as we speak with Mike in BC and Kelly in Ontario talking about some of the issues that uh, resonated with you, the national audience, this week. And there was one that uh, it, it's it was it's a fascinating story you've probably heard of kellogg's the ceo of kellogg's was on cnbc earlier this week and they were having a conversation about what's going on over at kellogg's and you know, they sell cereal so he was talking about how hey you know what'd be a great idea is have cereal for dinner food costs so much money you can save yourself a little bit of money just eat cereal for supper it did not go as he had expected so we're advertising about cereal for dinner if you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do that's going to be much more affordable i'm all for innovation and marketing but the idea of having cereal for dinner um is there the potential for that to land the wrong way 
we don't think so. In fact, it's landing really well right now, Carl. Cereal for dinner is something that is is probably more on trend now, and we would expect to continue as that consumer is under pressure. Well, Gary Pilnick, the CEO of Kellogg's, I don't think it was landing as well as you thought it was landing because it became international news. Like, just how out of touch can you be? I mean, guys, I understand his job is to run that company. And, you know, there is an opportunity there if you can sell it properly. But the best part of that was the host recognized it and said, wait a minute. Do you think maybe you're going to be? No, no, no. This this is all fine. It's a, It's a fantastic interview. He was, he was like he was like Doug Ford. Yeah, he's not going to double down. He's going to triple down. So yeah, he wasn't backing off on it. So it's kind of like he's of course he's been accused of being tone deaf. This is yeah. kind of like uh, instead of let them eat cake, let them eat cocoa puffs for dinner. So yeah, save money, eat cereal for dinner. Now you know what we had an awesome conversation on this topic this week, and because there's two ways to look at it, I think because on the one hand. This guy is being accused of, look at, what do they pay him for? What do they pay him, Kelly? Four million a year? Yeah, four million. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's eating Count Chocula for dinner. This guy makes a <laughs> lot of money. So, you know, but his the reason they pay him the big bucks, though, is his job is to sell cereal. And this yeah. is a publicly owned, publicly traded company on the stock exchange. It's got a dividend paying stock. And he is legally obliged to go out and make money for his shareholders, right? So isn't that what the guy's doing? He, he's trying to sell more cereal. That's why they pay him yes. four million bucks a year. And you know what? Uh, cereal prices are up 3% last year. Um, but Kelly, you were saying you take a look at his stocks. Uh, Kellogg's after that took a bit of a hit, right? Just because of the, the public relations disaster he stepped into. Yeah, you know what? He he's an idiot. Because first of all, I think he does a great Nicolas Cage because he sounded exactly like Nicolas Cage. I don't know if you played that clip again; you would hear it. Uh, I certainly heard it, and that was the first thing I thought of. Wow, this guy. Hang on, let me like Nicolas, Nicolas Cage, Cage. Give me a sec here. Hang on, hang on, hang on. So we're advertising about cereal for dinner. If you oh, think about right. the cost of cereal, you're right. It's like why he's running Kellogg's now. Times are tough in Hollywood. Um, but I think that uh, what he forgot was who's buying the cereal. Okay, because mm. college students are already eating it for dinner because they're so poor. But the other segment of the population that are buying this cereal are primarily women and primarily moms. Moms are doing most of the grocery shopping. I know, fellas, you've stepped it up. I get it. I'm giving you cred. But moms are primarily the shoppers. And you know who took down Marie Antoinette? At Versailles, when she said, let them eat brioche, it wasn't let them eat cake. It was a cakey bread brioche. It was, I'm not kidding, mothers that, that took down the gates of Versailles. And if you've ever had the, uh, the good fortune, like I have to, you know, spend your money, the hard earned money, go to Versailles, stand in, in Versailles and look back at those gates. Those gates are gilded. They're high. They look pretty secure. There were tons of moms going, forget this. We've had enough. Our kids are starving and they plowed down the gates. So this guy clearly missed a history lesson. And I would imagine more than just a history lesson. It doesn't sound too wise for a CEO of a major corporation. Yeah, no, uh, hit and a miss. There, there's no question. Speaking of major corporations and hitting and missing, Wendy's was an, did you, you guys talk about Wendy's? I mean, this whole strategy where they came out and said, we're going to, you know, we're going to tweak our prices a little bit based on demand. Boy, people are angry about that. 
Oh, yeah. Surge pricing, dynamic pricing. People were really upset about this. And then the, the see the uh, person that said it tried to walk it back. Yeah, uh, yeah. Wendy's tried to walk it back and they said, well, we didn't mean that things would go up. We meant that things would go down <laughs> with the surge pricing. And uh well, OK, you know what I think the best uh, thing is, is that Burger King has offered they offered free Whoppers in the wake of the Wendy's dynamic pricing backlash. He yeah. actually said the only thing surging is our flame that is cooking the burgers and they gave away free burgers if you ordered on their app you spent like three bucks you get a free burger it's a brilliant nice. advertising take advantage of your, your your opportunity right for sure burger king does a great job they in do. kind of taking advantage of something like this i was just checking out their press release on that they said we do not believe in charging our guests more when they're hungry so we're going to be giving out free Whoppers because that's basically what what uh, Wendy's was talking about here, right? Like yeah. they're saying when demand goes up, then the price goes up. Yeah. And, and if it goes down the other way, so it's kind of like running a, a burger joint like a Uber, right? The, the exactly. price goes up, the dynamic pricing up and down. I'm not surprised that blew up on them and they had to backtrack the on it. When the demand goes up and I'm at a fast food restaurant, I look at my watch and go, where's the other one? Because there's usually one right. next door. And do I want what's on their menu? I might go next door. I will say this. Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, he was a brilliant man. He actually was responsible largely. He worked with Colonel Sanders first for uh, making KFC into the success story that it was. And I think uh, when he got out of KFC, he sold his shares back for something like $1.5 which was a lot of money at the time. And because because he started his own restaurant. This was in 1969, I believe he started Wendy's. And he named it after his daughter, Mary mm -hmm. Lou or something. Her name was Melinda Lou. She couldn't pronounce it. So they called her Wendy. And um, he actually was such uh, an innovator when it came to the food industry, especially fast food. Do you know that the drive-thru was Dave Thomas's idea? Really? The drive-thru. He came, yes, he Ooh. came up with that. He came up with the value menu. So all, all I thought is, you've got to be kidding with it, dynamic pricing and yeah. saying you're going to charge more when it's busier. Dave Thomas somewhere is rolling in his grave, <laughs> like knocking on the top of the coffin, going, "Let me at him." <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Crazy. I mean, he, yeah, and he, and his commercials. I mean, he was Mr. Down Home Friendly guy, right? This flies in the face of all that. And and the other thing is, there's there maybe could have been a time when this wouldn't have been received the way that it was right now. But I mean, we we spend all day every day talking about how much food costs in this country right now. And it's no different than the United States. Maybe it's a bit worse here, but everybody is pinched to the last penny. We just did the story where they're recommending, well, save a few bucks and have cereal for dinner. It's a sore point. People are angry. Yeah. People are frustrated by the fact they can't afford to buy groceries. And you come out and say, well, you know what? If you really want a burger at lunchtime, going to cost you an extra buck how did they expect mm -hmm. it was going to go right i mean it's, it's yeah they not thinking got, it through you got to read the room right and people are struggling out there in a difficult economy so when this kind of stuff comes out it just rubs people the wrong way again though it's kind of like you take a look at wendy's again another example of a publicly traded company that's traded yeah. on the stock exchange the ceo there his job is to sell burgers and make as much money as possible for his shareholders so i wonder if the real sin for these guys you know, this guy and also the head of Kellogg's is he said the quiet part out loud. Maybe this is right. stuff that should have been kept in the boardroom, you know, sitting yeah. around with the uh, with the other executives and say, hey, how about dynamic pricing? Maybe we can make some more money with that. Maybe we should get on this cereal for dinner trend. You know, once you start bringing it out in the public without 
without thinking it through, I guess that's when when it can really backlash on you. Well, that's what these guys did. These guys said stuff right. out, 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 out loud yeah. that maybe should have been sure. kept in the boardroom. And if you're really smart, yeah, the cereal for dinner would go over if you lean heavy into the nostalgia of, you know, being a kid and being told you could eat whatever you want for dinner. Odds are you're going for the sugary cereal. So this true, could have been true. done in a really but, smart way. Lean into you guys, the nostalgia. Are you guys- are you guys really telling me you've never had cereal for, for dinner now? Come on. No, the, of course I, I have. <laughs> I actually uh, haven't had cereal for dinner, but I will do eggs and chips because my mom's from Belfast. <laughs> well, there you go. I don't, but yeah. you're absolutely right, Mike. And I think because the whole concept of a dynamic pricing, we're used to it. I was, I was checking out a story from your neck of the woods when it, it just to relate it to this. If I wanted to go stay in Vancouver downtown at, I think it's the Comfort Inn and Suites or something, it cost me 400 bucks this weekend. If I want to go in December when Taylor Swift's in town, it's $4,000. So I mean, <laughs> this always happens. The demand dictates what you can charge and what you can get. But like you say, don't be telling people. Just go ahead and do it. Like the hotel is in advertising. We're increasing prices by, you know, a thousand percent that weekend. But yeah. the other thing is that there's only a, a, a finite amount of uh, rooms available, right? If you've got, True. you know, burgers galore, you could still, it can get busy at a fast food restaurant and you can still make the burgers. People just have to wait longer. True. True. That's Very true. true. That's true. So supply and, I, I, and demand. Supply and we got a shortage of hotel rooms here. They're going to have a lot of trouble for the work for the Taylor Swift and the World Cup coming to Vancouver they have too. To add ferries or something like that to oh, yeah. uh, for Taylor Swift. For oh, Taylor yeah, and Swift. Shutting, and they're shutting down all the yeah. Airbnbs in Vancouver too, or a lot of them too. So people are going to be struggling to find a place to stay. Unbelievable. Yeah. She moves markets. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> um, guys, thanks so much for this. Uh, all, all this talk about burgers. It's lunchtime here, here yeah. in Alberta. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go. <laughs> I'm going to head up, but I appreciate this. Uh, thanks so much. It's always enlightening. Uh, I hope you guys had a good time. Appreciate you being here. Thanks Thank so you. much. Thank you guys. Uh, Shay Ganim in Alberta along with Mike Smith in BC and Kelly Cotrera in Ontario for Crosstalk. We will be doing this again. We're going to do this every month. In fact, the next time we get together will be Thursday, March 28th. Look for us typically on Fridays, but that's good Friday. So we're going to do it on Thursday. Hope to talk to you then. Have a great weekend.